What a great time of worship and what a great celebration we've already had this morning. And I think we've already heard the message this morning, loud and clear. Um, but is it okay if I still share a message that I have prepared for today? <laughs> but we did hear a great message of just uh, the testimony. Lauren, thank you for sharing your testimony and Landon just of, of life change. When God enters our hearts, when we walk the journey of the ups and downs, but understand the surrender that we have, that we give that over to Christ, and a new life that begins is an amazing Exodus story, isn't it? It's a story of being freed and learning to walk and to live in freedom. We wrap up the series next week, so we have one more today, and next week we wrap up the Exodus series, and we've been following this crazy story that is the major narrative of the Old Testament and really is a metaphor for our whole lives. What is this Exodus that we're on, this journey to finding freedom out of captivity into hope? The Israelites leaving and being in captivity, literally being slaves and longing for a promised land, that hope for that future to get there, and we've been watching and following their story. And it's been frustrating, hasn't it, the story at some levels, as you watch and as you read the Old Testament. It's been frustrating because it's like they seem to be doing so well, and then things go south, right? We saw, remember that video, if you were here last week, the sheep that was pulled out of the ditch only to jump back in the ditch? Yeah, this is the story. And today is another one of those ditch moments. <laughs> they end up in the ditching, and we're talking about the Israelites being exiled and losing the promised land that they had. Now, we don't experience maybe that much exile in our life here in the United States. We might not understand what is exile. It's being removed from your homeland. It's being away from where you are. And I think, in, in, and maybe a story that comes to mind, it's not really exile, but if, yeah, it is exile. It's, uh, it's um, uh, what's his name? Tom Hanks in Castaway. Got his name there for a second. Remember the movie Castaway? If you haven't, he's stranded on this island for years. For years, and that is literally being exiled. Now, it wasn't by choice. It was by circumstance, the plane crash. But in exile, there's this longing for home. There's this desire for family and friends and the comforts and the things that were known and, and realizing I am not there. And what do I do when I'm in exile? How do I live that out? How do I experience that? And that's what we're going to look at today in the story of the Israelites. What does it look like in exile? But you might be saying, what does that have to do with us? I mean, we look at our world today, there is exile. Uh, there are people that are being exiled all over the world, aren't there? Whether they're refugees or whether they're immigrants seeking a new land or whether they're displaced people, uh, lots of situations where, where we're seeing physically people removed from their homeland or not able to be where they are home. But I think we experience exile in different ways too. Maybe it's not in a dramatic fashion as far as having to leave a land that we loved or being forced to leave, but in smaller ways in our lives. We have, a, um, we have a, high, a college freshman. It feels like a little bit of exile, right? When you go, not that we forced her away to school or anything, you know, but uh, she chose. But this homesickness, right, that you might get when you're away from home and you're longing for, for what was there, what was known, what was comfortable. Maybe you've experienced it in your life where you've moved and you went somewhere else and maybe it was by choice or maybe it wasn't by choice, but you end up somewhere and you're going, ah, I long for the way it was or I miss home. I miss my church. I miss my neighborhood. I miss those things. And maybe it's a physical exile that you feel in some ways where you resonate with that and going, ah, it just isn't the same. What do I do in this stage of life now? It feels different. And maybe it's not even about place so much, but maybe it's a season in your life that you're going through right now where you remember the way it was. Maybe you remember a time before you got the cancer diagnosis. Maybe you remember a time before immobility set in and you've got back pains and you can't move and you can't be, you know, like, like you were before. Maybe you lost a job 
and you're remembering what it was like before, and you're thinking, I don't know that I'll ever go. Maybe I lost a career in that direction. Maybe it's a stage in life where you're mourning a stage of life that used to be. You, you know, you're married, and, and now you have kids. And you're, no, that's, that's a good thing. That's a good thing. That's a good thing. No, no, it's really good. Because we know that, because then when you're empty nesters, you mourn that, right? You mourn that. I mean, we have these mixed emotions, right? It's different stages at different times, and, and maybe you look back to the good old days, the way things were, and you realize life keeps moving on, and, and how do I hold on to those things? What do we do when we are exiled? But we're here, and we also talk about our faith. What does exile look like spiritually? Because it's not just physical exile, it's not just emotional exile, but what does it look like when you're exiled spiritually? Maybe you've never had a relationship with, with God, the God of the Bible. And maybe you don't trust in Jesus. Maybe you, you've been seeking spirituality. You've been seeking hope in different places. You've been looking for meaning in, in different ways. And maybe for a time you find it in success. Maybe for a time you find it in a relationship. Maybe for a time you find it in, in some kind of uh, religion or way of thinking. But it keeps coming up short. And you feel like you're displaced. Like I'm no longer in a, in a spiritual homeland. A place that, that feels like where I belong. And even in our own story, if you are a follower of Christ, maybe you look back to a day, man, I remember how on fire I was for Jesus when I first gave my life to him. It felt like I was invincible. It felt like I was so new in my walk. Or you remember your baptism day, and you say that the life and the, and the joy that I felt in that moment going all in and being committed. But even as we heard in the testimony this morning, there's ups and downs. And there are times where we feel like we're spiritual exiles, where we're not where we used to be. Maybe you look back and go, I don't know what happened. I used to be on fire for God. Now I feel like I'm going through the motions or maybe I'm distancing myself. Maybe doubts have set in and you're wondering and you just don't feel at home anymore and you don't know. You feel lost. Exile shows itself in a lot of different ways and I want to talk about that today. Part six, exiled in this journey of the exodus. So we've been following the story of the people of God. This amazing up and down story from their captivity in Egypt to being freed from the hand of Pharaoh through the desert, right? Um, he's chasing and pursuing. God delivers them. He makes a way through the Red Sea. It's amazing. He gives them the Ten Commandments. They're free people now living as his people to show the world what he was like. That was their goal, right? To be blessed to bless others. They get to the edge of the promised land and they don't think they can do it. So God says, okay, 40 years of wandering. They wander the wilderness. God is still there. He provides for them. They, they just can't grab the promise. And then, last week we talked about it. They cross the Jordan River. They, Joshua leads them. And here they are in the promised land. And they are the envy of all the nations around. As God begins to bless them and as their leadership is formed and the way they are living, the other nations are looking and saying, wow, what prosperity. What an amazing land. How is this happening? But even last week, remember, the caution came, but beware. That is the time to be careful. That in your prosperity, that in the times that we don't have this subtle drift. Remember we talked about moving from being uh, contented to becoming complacent? It happens subtly. Or from being blessed to all of a sudden feeling entitled. And all of a sudden we move and we drift from God, and that began to happen. But as we pick up the story, God was, was patient with them, and he continued to warn them. Time and time again, and actually now 800 years later after they settled the promised land. We, we, we can't even fathom that here in the United States, right? 250 years ago since our independence. 800 years, three to four times as long. So they've been a nation, they've been living, they've, they've had a northern kingdom and a southern kingdom. They've had all kinds of different things going on. And now they come to this place, but they have continued to disobey the, the, the prophets that have come and have continued to call the people back to God. And now God has said, I've had enough. 
we don't like this aspect about God when we teach this in the Bible. When we come to places like this where we see maybe God saying, look, there is and comes a point where it's enough. And he come, we read this here in Amos chapter 2, just one example, chapter 2, a few verses. This is what the Lord says. The people of Judah have sinned again and again, and I will not let them go unpunished. They have rejected the instruction of the Lord, refusing to obey his decrees. They have been led astray by the same lies that deceived their ancestors. So I will send down fire on Judah, and all the fortresses of Jerusalem will be destroyed. In verse 9, he says, I will punish them for their sins, says the Lord. They have despised my holy words and violated my commands. We love focusing on God's grace and on God's mercy, and that is fully present. But we often forget and neglect God's justice, God's holiness, God's righteousness, God's power. And sometimes we play with these things. We play with spiritual things. We play with sin. Oh, oh, it's going to be okay. We make grace cheap. And that we don't think that God is, is serious, that this is a way of freedom and life, and that it also is, is an assault to who he is. That in his holiness, there can be no sin. And, he, and we might go, man, God, you seem so, you seem so like, like flippant and so angry. And 800 years, 800 years God is faithful and patient with them. And so we, he sends prophets, he sends Jeremiah, Isaiah, Hosea, Ezekiel, Amos, all these folks saying, return to God, come back to him. Stop blending your faith with others. Stop turning from, from God in these ways. And then in 2 Chronicles, we read in verse 36, it says, or chapter 36, the Lord, the God of their ancestors, repeatedly sent his prophets to warn them. For why? For he had compassion on his people and his temple. But the people mocked these messengers of God, and they despised their words. They scoffed at the prophets until the Lord's anger could no longer be restrained, and nothing could be done. Remember, this is a covenant that God had with his people. It wasn't a contract, it was a relationship that, that we each hold up our end of the bargain, and God held up his end of the bargain. But it's us who don't hold up our end of the bargain. And we fall short, and there comes a moment where if you're a parent, you realize that punishment does not mean you do not love your kids. Punishment might actually mean you love your kids. But yet when it comes to God, we think punishment, God of wrath, God of anger, how can that be? God says, because I love you, because I want relationship with you, because I want you to live in a way that's freeing and, there's, and I can't get your attention in any other way, because I love you. But he was patient 800 years. And what is the consequence? Exile. The consequence comes, and it's exile. And in 587 B.C. is, a, is the Babylonian exile. There's another exile, the Assyrian exile, but I'm going to focus on this one. The Babylonian exile, 587 B.C. King Nebuchadnezzar comes in. And here we read about it in 2 Chronicles chapter 36, just the next couple of verses here. The fall of Jerusalem. So imagine, again, the splendor we saw last week, the, how God had provided for them. He says this, So the Lord brought the king of Babylon against him. The Babylonians, what did they do? They killed Judah's young men, even chasing after them into the temple. They had no pity on the people, killing both young men and young women. The old and the infirm. God handed all of them over to Nebuchadnezzar. The king took home to Babylon all the articles, large and small, used in the temple of God, and the treasures from both the Lord's temple and from the palace of the king and his officials. Then his army burned the temple of God, tore down the walls of Jerusalem, burned all the palaces, and completely destroyed everything of value. The few who survived were taken as exiles to Babylon, and they became servants to the king and his sons until the kingdom of Persia came to power. 
Man, that's a change, isn't it? This is what happened in the promised land. This is what they've been waiting for. And how could this happen again? Kings, palaces, you know, the temple, the walls literally torn down. Things were burned. There was, there was you know, we'd see pictures on the news today of incredible atrocities happening and, and demolition and, and, and scales that we can't, they couldn't have even imagined back then. But it, we see it in so many ways here. It's just, it's awful what's happening. And we think, how, what happened to them? There's a book in the Old Testament called Lamentations appropriately named because it's a lament. Don't read this book if you want to get cheered up. <laughs> but read this book if you want to be reminded that it's okay to be honest before God in our struggles. And it is written during the exile. So the people are now removed. Those that survived, they're removed. Or those that were taken as captives, they are now in another nation. Some remained when everything is destroyed, but others were now in Babylon. And, they, and we read this, the first six uh, verses here. Not just what happened, but how it felt. Let me read this to you. Jerusalem, once so full of people, is now deserted. She who was once great among the nations now sits alone like a widow. Once the queen of all the earth, she is now a slave. She sobs through the night, tears stream down her cheeks. Among all her lovers, there is no one left to comfort her. All her friends have betrayed her and become her enemies. Judah has been led away into captivity, oppressed with cruel slavery. She lives among foreign nations and has no place of rest. Remember the promised land, a place of rest. Her enemies have chased her down, and she has nowhere to turn. The roads to Jerusalem are in mourning, for crowds no longer come to celebrate the festivals. The city gates are silent. Her priests groan. Her young women are crying. How bitter is her faith, fate. Her oppressors have become her masters, and her enemies prosper. For the Lord has punished Jerusalem for her many sins. Her children have been captured and taken away to distant lands. All the majesty of beautiful Jerusalem has been stripped away. And you kind of go, oh, not again. <laughs> Taken away as slaves. They're slaves again. We just started this journey, this whole journey to freedom, and they're slaves again. And we wonder, and we relate to the story, and, and maybe you come to this place, and maybe they were asking themselves, how did I end up here? Have you ever asked that in your own life? Have you ever gotten to a place where you would look at them and go, how did I get here? How did I end up in this place? Sometimes it happens quickly, other times it may happen over time, and all of a sudden you look up and go, how did I get here? I remember some years ago, uh, our neighbor that we had, his name was Matt, and he um, had all the opportunities growing up. He was a, he was a you know, good Christian home, good education, good-looking guy, um, had all the opportunities for, for him, but he was an alcoholic, and he struggled tremendously with anger and all kinds of things. And I had many, many conversations with him when he was sober and a few when he wasn't. And I remember one thing that he said to me once, which I first didn't believe. He said, Mark, you know, you're only one or two decisions away from being where I'm at. I was like, I don't think so. I think so. We don't realize sometimes how just one or two decisions, maybe dramatic decisions, maybe something small that we didn't even think was that significant, but we wonder, how did we end up here? How did the people of God end up in exile? Over a course of time, over some decisions, how do you end up where you are? Exile. It happens when we're separated. But here, when we think about it more than just location, exile happens when you forget your God and you forget your story. That's what happened to the people of Israel. They forgot their God. They forgot their story. They began to drift away. And when we do that, we forget who we are. And all of a sudden, we're not in that same place. We're not in that same situation. We begin to drift. 
You stop going to church. You only attend, you know, once in a while. You don't meet with your life group anymore. You stop reading your Bible or just once in a while. And, and little by little by little, and it's not about the, the, the religiousness of doing these things out of duty, but it's a reminder of where we put our priority, where we connect, how we continue to engage our faith, and slowly we drift. We forget our story. We forget our God. Exile also happens when we fail to convert our blessings into blessings for others. We see that. We think it's all about us. We think it's all for us. And we forget our mission. We forget our purpose. We forget why we are here. And this is what happened to the Israelites. So I want to give you three things here about talking about how do we overcome exile. If you find yourself in a place right now where you're like, I'm not where I needed to be or where I want to be or where I am spiritually, whatever you, however you may take this, but how do we overcome exile? The first is this. We need to mourn. We need to acknowledge our losses and pain to God. It's not a fun place to begin, but if you're in exile, if you're in a place in a season of life where you feel this, it's time to mourn and just say to God, this is terrible. I do not like where I'm at. I don't like what's happening here. Psalm 137 was actually written by the exiles during this time. It says, by the rivers of Babylon, we sat and wept as we thought about Jerusalem. We put away our harps, hanging them on the branches of poplar trees. I mean, think about this for a moment and the rest of the scripture. They, they hung up their harps. What have you done with your harps? <laughs> we don't play harps anymore, but it's the symbol, the sign of, we hung up our harps, they're, they're, our, our joy is gone, there's mourning, there's loss, I'm not where I was, and, and to acknowledge that before God, saying, where I am right now is not where I need to be, I don't believe that's where you called me to be, but this is where I am, God, and I bring it to you. Be honest with him, share that with him. And when we weep, and when we cry, and when we mourn, it's amazing, those tears begin to water the soil where something new can begin to grow. And out of that, it, it opens up new possibilities. The second is this, repent, turn back to God. The mourning just acknowledges where we're at, but then there's something we need to do. We don't just need to keep mourning and saying, God, where I'm at. Repent literally means to turn and change direction and to head back towards God. And this was a critical part of why the prophets were sent and why we read about this in the Old Testament, this reminder of turn back to God. Acknowledge what's gone wrong. And Daniel, I won't read the scripture this morning, but there's this long scripture of just Daniel repenting and being honest before God and saying, I turn back on behalf of the people as we're in exile. God, we turn back to you. We confess our sins. God, don't abandon us. Restore our relationship with you. And so he's, he's coming back and he's saying, God, meet us where we are. Now, you might wonder, where is God in the exile? Like, you know, God was kind of like, all right, I'm going to remove my, my hand of protection. And Babylon sweeps in and... The Bible reminds us that God is with them in the exile. He's still with them. When you, as a parent, if you're a parent, if you punish your kids, do you completely remove yourself and say, that's it, I'm done? You say, there's punishment, but I love you. I'm still here with you. I'm still together with you. And God does not let them go. They mourn, they repent, but if we want to overcome exile, the third is this, we need to live. This is my favorite point of these three. Because this is what we forget about. We're in the exile and we think we can't live unless we return the way things were before. But we need to flourish in the exile. When our path isn't where we hoped it would be, when it's not going where we thought it would be, when we don't know how we ended up here, we mourn and we repent and we ask God, but we don't stop living. I love what was written here. Jeremiah writes this, and he writes this in the time of the exile. Verse, chapter 29. This is what the Lord of heaven's armies, the God of Israel, says to whom? All the captives he has exiled to Babylon from Jerusalem. So he's writing this in the exile. The word from God. Build homes and plan to stay. Plant gardens and eat the food they produce. Marry and have children. 
Then find spouses for them so that you may have many grandchildren. Multiply. Do not dwindle away. And work for the peace and the prosperity of the city where I sent you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it, for its welfare will determine your welfare. Keep living. <laughs> it may not be where you are. You may not be dealing with life that the, you, how you had hoped. You may be struggling, but keep living. God is still with you, and he's still saying, even in the exile, do something there. Make something happen. Don't just wait for rescue. Make an impact. Invest where you're at. Put down roots. Bloom where you're planted. Because God is with you. He's with you in the exile, not only in the promised land. He was with them before when they were in Egypt. He is always there. And what story is going to write? When you work for the peace and the prosperity of the place God has put you, you don't know what can happen and why God has you in that place and what he wants to do through you. Why he has you at a job that you don't want to be at. Why he has you in a school that you don't want, maybe want to be in. Why you're in the neighborhood that you may be struggling with. You know, as you look at your life, you're saying, I'm not where I want to be. Our marriage isn't where I want it to be. Instead of mourning it, you say, I mourn it and I repent. And God, now we're going to live. We're going to do something about this. We're going to experience life now and watch what begins to happen as God meets us in the exile. God wants to turn it around. He wants to lead you into a different place. You may have been diagnosed with cancer or a different, difficult disease or something that's continually, you know, just wreaking havoc on you. You may not be able to go back to what was before, but God is still with you. And in that moment, he's calling you to live. We just celebrated the life of uh, my, be my best friend growing up. His mom, like family to us, she passed away suddenly, was diagnosed with pancreatic cancer and had six weeks from the time of diagnosis to when she passed away. The way she embraced dying as a follower of Christ was unbelievable. No panic, no fear. I mean, sure, you hear that diagnosis and there's things that go through your mind, but once she wrapped her mind around that, she says, I'm going out joyful, I'm going out singing, I have lived my life with Christ, I know where I'm going, and she lived every moment like that. She didn't say, it's over for me. It was physically in this way, but in that time, in those moments, the way that she blessed people was unbelievable. Such an amazing testimony. Live, flourish in the exile. I mentioned the book of um, Lamentations. The majority of it, again, very just, just heart-heavy stuff. But there's a glimmer of hope in there. In chapter 3, there's a few verses, and maybe you've heard some of these before, but the verse uh, begins here in verse 20. It says, I will in, in chapter 3, I will never forget this awful time right? Remember, they're in exile. As I grieve over my loss. Remember, look, they're acknowledging the loss, the mourning. But look what it says here. Yet, I still dare to hope when I remember this. Do you still dare to hope? I mean, that's the hope of the believer. That's the saying, I'm in exile. Things aren't going the way that I hope. But I still dare to hope. Because we aren't hopeless people. We aren't ones who think God has abandoned us, that it's all over. Even in exile, we still dare to hope. Why? Because the faithful love of the Lord never ends. His mercies never cease. Great is his faithfulness. His mercies begin afresh every few years. Every morning. I say to myself, the Lord is my inheritance. Therefore, I will hope in him. We don't live like those who don't have hope. Life may not be what you had thought, maybe by your own choices, maybe by the actions of others, maybe just the way the course of life has gone. Maybe you feel like you're exiled. Mourn it. Be honest before God. Say, God, spiritually, I'm not where I want to be. 
repent, turn to God and say, God, but I am with you and I surrender to you in this time and I'm going to live where you have placed me. I will not lose hope and I'm going to see what you do in this time and through this time. So even through the difficulties, God is there. Will you dare to hope even when things aren't the way you had imagined? I want to pray with us this morning. I just ask you to take a moment. Where do you need God's hope and God's spirit and life to speak to you this morning? What exile are you dealing with? Heavenly Father, we're humans and we experience this life with all of its beauty and all of its pain and challenges. Father, I pray specifically for those who are experiencing an exile of sorts in their own life. Where they just feel like they're on the outside looking in or where they remember how it used to be or just know, God, this is not where you have meant me to be. Father, would you restore hope? Acknowledge the grief, the loss, but Father, may there be also a repentant heart that walks back, that comes back to you and says, God, I, I need to fall at your feet and experience your love and your embrace. I'm coming home to the Father. And Father, may we live, even in this world where there's so much of our world in exile, where we experience the distancing from you, God, may we be a people who live with hope, who work for the peace and the prosperity of the city, that Meadow Park and those of us in this church that, that go out, that believers throughout this community and whatever church they worship in would be a light to those around, to say there is hope and there is new life and that, God, you have not abandoned us. Let us return to you with surrendered hearts. And Father, may we see you do it again. May we see you bring new life. May we see you rekindle what was lost. God, you are faithful and you'll continue to be. We give you thanks in Jesus' name, amen.